I think there are perspectives that we all need to bring, this historical fact that we all need to talk about and admit to and appreciate. And when I say appreciate, don't say thank you for slavery. Appreciate the fact that slavery existed. So critical race theory to me is not telling your children, telling individuals in, in, in high school and college that they're bad because they're white. Being honest, like white people, Europeans, enslaved people, and created a country. That's the reality. Welcome, fam. This is Courtney Russell Jr., and I'm here with my co-host, Emily Brocker. Welcome to Humanize. We are two Americans with totally different backgrounds and life experiences. We're coming together on this podcast to dive right at the heart of the three things that shut down tough conversations about race, culture, power, and ego. The stories you are about to hear are meant to humanize those deeply involved in social justice. Welcome to the work, y'all. Let's get it. What up, humanized family? Um, I got good news and bad news. <laughs> the good news is uh, you are now under the tone of this melodic voice <laughs> and the stylings of <laughs> the artist, Emily Brocker. Good yes. news. Good news. The bad news <laughs> is this is the final episode of season two. We're going to do some stuff to prepare for season three to bring some more fire, some more heat to you guys and bring the level of professionalism the level of love that you all deserve. So get ready for season three coming soon. But this is the last episode. And uh, thank you guys for being along on this ride with us. We love you so much. Thank you. Let's get it, Emily. Yeah. So today we want to, so what is it? End of July, 2021. And we wanted to just, you know, kind of touch base with each other and with you all about some stuff that's going on in, in the news, specifically related to all the debates in the schools, K through 12 schools around critical race theory, what is happening across the country with voting laws, and then just take a minute at the end and connect with you, Courtney, about about our process, about how it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible! <laughs> because I, I've had, I mean, we, we kind of did this at the end of season one, too. We just kind of like reflected on our process working together because... Um, you know, if you're just tuning in to Humanize right now, Courtney and I have really gotten to know each other over the course of of recording. Like we legit had like two phone calls before we started recording. I mean, we didn't publish our very first recording, but if you go back to season one, you know, the denial of racism, question of justice, those were some of our first conversations. So there's so many aspects of, of Humanize, but one of them is like, Building relationship across, you know, very different backgrounds and perspectives that that Courtney and I have. So we'll do that towards the end. It's kind of look higher level. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Ooh, it's been a journey. So it's been a journey. Um, I'm recording here out in near Boston, Massachusetts, in my my home roots of just the the whitest white place in the world, which is <laughs> South Dartmouth, Massachusetts, with 100% humidity, reminding me why I moved to Colorado, which was mainly, you know, to have better hair days. And because <laughs> it's so like my hair is so frizzy out here. <laughs> And you're about to head back to Atlanta. It's going to be so hot this yeah, time of year. Yeah, man. So basically, thank God we're on radio and we're not on TV. So uh, Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, appreciate you. Appreciate you. 
Oh my goodness. Oh, well, let's start with critical race theory. And I think that this is just, just, we're just going to touch, you know, a light touch, as people say, a light touch on critical race theory. Let's do it. So, and I guess I just put my intention out there is like, I know that there's a lot of, a lot of parents that listen to our podcast. And I want, my hope is that people might be just a little bit more well-informed when they're talking with their schools, when they're talking, this, it's such a hot topic. And I just find that people, people are just not even using the phrase correctly. And so I hope that we can kind of offer a little perspective and a little education around that. So I love that. Two things. I mean, one thing with two parts, Um, a lot of people conflate what critical race theory is and thinking about race critically. You know, those are two different things, you know, and critical race theory is something that academics use for just another form of research, another form of, of saying something is is in its existence. You know, thinking about race critically is something that we should have done far beyond um, George Floyd before. I mean, far before George Floyd um, was tragically murdered and it just came to be because a lot of times pain and tragedy and poverty are are profited on to be honest you know and are used as a springboard for other things you know um and so whether you want to look at it as a is a good thing not a good thing but something that had to happen so that we can think about race critically or like damn why weren't we talking about it more when Trayvon Martin was was, was murdered you know or yeah and so like you can't go either way that's a really good place to start because even this, the phrase of critical. So <laughs> I have a, a story to share. So I, you know, I studied intercultural communication in grad school. I did grad school in my early 30s. And I, you know, I did the basic courses in intercultural communication. And there weren't a lot of courses in my my program. And so I just signed up for the other course on direct, like directly talking about intercultural communication, which was critical intercultural communication. And I walked into class. The first question that the the professor asked us, we're like all sitting in a circle, it's kind of a small class, was like, okay, what does critical mean? And I was definitely, you know, it's embarrassing to admit, but I was definitely thinking that critical meant important, important conversations about intercultural communication. But I was at the point, I was like, I'm not raising my hand because I don't want to be wrong, right? And he's like, no, critical in academics means looking through the the lens of power and privilege. And so that's, I think, the the first place where people are kind of getting this wrong is like, it's not critical, like important race theory. It's critical as in looking through the perspective of power and privilege. So that's critical theory. Critical race theory is looking at systems, looking at the ways that we uh, we do things through the lens of power and privilege. So it's just, you know, in academics, you're looking at so much. This is just one way to really slice through and look at issues from this perspective. So I had my own aha around that because it's a word that's used in a couple different ways. So that's like point number one. <laughs> we want to make sure that that people are hearing in this. Because what I see is like 
people just using this phrase in like, okay, so I had this Facebook troll a while back who was uh, posting on something that I posted about raising kids to be aware of race, especially white kids to be aware of their privilege. Um, he eventually found my post and, and wrote something. I actually wrote it down. He said, amongst this back and forth, you wrote, I, for one, do not believe in critical race theory. And he goes on to say, because our genetics proves that the human race is descended from two people, we are a race of one regardless of skin pigmentation. So lots of opinions in the second part, but I don't think you can even say, I don't believe in critical race theory. You're saying, I don't believe people have different perspectives and experiences. Like, I don't think that you can say that. <laughs> you cannot. You cannot. No. Are you? Yeah. Are you hearing people use it like in a strange way? So I was on and in preparation for this talk, this debate, this this thing that we're having right now. You know, I was on YouTube and came across some video videos about critical race theory. So first I wanted to go into the, the academia and things. Then I went into the opinions, you know, and some people feel as though, you know, it's it's critical race theory is inherently elevating one race while victimizing one. It's saying that either you're you're racist or you're anti-racist. And if you have to be either you have to be either one of those. You know, then it's saying that people of color are told that they are victims and and white people are told that they are oppressors, right? Okay. So that's the theory. As I went through all of those videos for about hours, I came to a thing like people really do not want to talk about the historical facts of the invention of race and why it was used in our country. You know, and so. Right. Because denial keeps white supremacy in place. And that's what. And, and so I keep coming back because I always want to go into a situation where, OK, cool. Let's talk about it. If I'm wrong, I have no problem saying that. You know, so I even found conservative black people, conservative people of color, who feel as though critical race theory is doing people of color a huge disservice because, again, it's saying that we are victims and it's saying it's not acknowledging that we've come such a far way. Um, why continue to talk about race and make it such an important thing? And it, so I always have to go back to it in every aspect of our society, race shows and rears his ugly ass head and everything when you when when individuals create something i know medical books they do it from a standpoint of white people and we just got to figure it out as people of color so the standard of what is taught is by white men and that's fact it has nothing to do with that's not a demonizing a person Right. It's a perspective. Exactly. It's just, it tries to pretend like it's not a perspective. It tries to pretend like it's fact. Yeah, exactly. Experts are only experts because we feel as though they're experts. They still have biases. Like, I see the world a different way, but I, but I never want to be called an expert because that's taken away from the expertise that Emily brings because she sees the world in a different way. You know, so I may be good. I may be good at something, but that term "I am an expert in critical race theory" means that when I say something about race, it has to be law. And as a man of color, 
yeah, it's focused around critical race theory. I'm black. You're white. Now it's trendy to say like, oh, you can't. To, to you, you, you should not do this to black people or people of color because you seem racist. So if he says, if this black man or man of or woman of color says it, please tread lightly, or there can be repercussions to you or your job or or PC, the culture that we live in. And on the other side of that, I don't agree with that either. I think there are perspectives that we all need to bring, this historical fact that we all need to talk about and admit to and appreciate. And when I say appreciate, don't say thank you for slavery. Appreciate the fact that slavery existed. So critical race theory to me is not telling your children, telling individuals in, in, in high school and college that they're bad because they're white. Being honest, like white people, Europeans, enslaved people, and created a country. That's the reality. Right. And like, I, I feel like even in how some of those arguments are being presented. So, you know, we know that white supremacy culture tries to frame things in the way of either or either you're a, a victim, either you're the perpetrator. And I think that one of the powerful parts. So I went on after <laughs> after learning about what critical theory was. I went on and, and studied it a lot and I actually taught critical theory in grad school, like for, for other folks taking intercultural communication. And one of the biggest things I've taken away from critical theory, which by the way, is the people who are amazing critical theorists are the smartest people I know, or they are able to grasp concepts in the most nuanced way. And there is so much talking about both and it's not either or it's both and that is like one of the biggest pushes in critical theory it's like let's look at the nuance let's not make it black or white and that's what i want our kids to learn is like it's nothing in our history nothing in the way that i think is black and white in terms of like i'm always going to do this in this situation i'm always going to do humans are way more complex so why when we come together as a society is it going to be black or white? And so I would want my kids to learn about critical theory to be able to see the nuance and see the situational nuance of different people's experiences. Yes, it's uncomfortable to learn our history as white people, but it's our history. If we didn't want to be uncomfortable, we shouldn't have enslaved people for hundreds of years. Like, you know, it's uh, that's where the problem was. And I, I hear people saying, you know, like if it's going to divide us, like if we if we learn about racial differences, it's going to exacerbate racial differences in this kind of circular argument. You know, Representative Matt Rosendale of Montana said, I believe in treating everyone equally regardless of race and that we should be focused on what unites us rather than our differences a pretty easy statement for a white man <laughs> exactly exactly but 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 i'm going to flip it on you this um and i'm not quoting him 100 percent, but i don't know if you know who ben carson is um he's a conservative black guy who ran for president but he was the hud secretary under trump administration and he said we need to be more focused on equality instead of equity so you see how that flipped like for that's 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 a weird statement for a black man to say because equality it sounds good but everything can't be equal because we didn't start on the same at the same place 
So everything has to be equitable. I need more assistance in certain things than you, Emily. That's just a given. It's not a, 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 you're, a you're a worse person than me. That's the reality. So a lot of times when I'm thinking about critical race theory, I have to keep going back to individuals make things taboo because everything has to be black and white. Either you're straight or you're gay. Either you're black or you're white. Either you, you're a man or a woman. And so when, when, when you fall out of those labels, now you're, you're abnormal, you're different, you're weird. We got to address it. Everything has gray. Like even black people are different. It's not a monolith. Everyone is not the same. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lot different than a black dude who grew up right next to me. Yeah. So like just to be able to, you know, going back to teaching the both and like to teach your kids, you can both love and respect your ancestors and be critical of them, you know, critical in the actual, you know, the the way that we typically use the word. And that's not that's not easy because of the way the brain works and love to categorize and make things easier, but that's reality. In every endeavor, in every field, and everything that we do, in every job, I think you have to think critically if you want to be good at your job, no matter what it is. If you're uh, if you're a musician, you have to be a musician critically. You have to hone your craft. You have to make sure you're always on the cutting edge of the instruments. Everything has to be done critically. So if you say that you are a person working in government, why wouldn't you want to serve your constituents critically? Things change. If you're an educator, you have to think critically so that you can support your students. So when it comes to race, if we're honestly trying to address race in our country, why would we want to do it through a critical lens and just not be like, I don't want to talk about it. And so the word critical race theory is othering or demonizing a group of people that aren't used to being in the spotlight in that way. That's what I think. That's why critical race theory is under such scrutiny and is hated because it's it's putting white people from what I see. And again, we just started, I just started doing so. I, I would love more education on it. But to me, it seems as though we're putting white people under the spotlight and saying, look, this happened. This is why we're here. Let's let's talk about it. And some people just don't like that. So in my experience of it, it's actually decentering whiteness. Like it's not just about putting white people under the spotlight. It's about talking about, you know, code switching. And like a lot of the terms that we use, performance, code switching, white supremacy culture, these are all things that have been really like kind of explored in depth in critical theory and academics and that have bled into our everyday vernacular. So I the most of the articles and academics that I've read are more about like this is this is what it's like to be a Latino performer who also identifies as queer in Texas, you know, a very specific experience. And so, of course, you know, if they're in the States, they're kind of, um, they're working within the confines of white supremacy. So they're going to use that as a backboard, the springboard for their experience. Like the experience of being othered is part of what's often written about. But I think that it's much more about centering traditionally marginalized perspectives, traditionally marginalized histories, rather than centering white people as doing something wrong. And that's where like that people taking it personally so quickly. 
you you know, when I said center, I guess I meant because if you're talking about marginalized people, you have to address how and why they were marginalized. If you talk, if you if you're talking about um, individuals who were othered, you have to talk about who was doing or who was perpetuating the othering. So again, when I say it's, it's spotlighting, it's just it's, it's showing the, the truth and that's the uncomfortable truth about history and how we ended up where we are with um, all of the systems in place to protect a group of people. So I guess when I said centering that, that's what I meant. Yeah. I guess it would, it's like talking more explicitly than other forums where they try to dance around. That's what I mean. You know, they'll just say, they'll say like, yeah, that's, you know, due to white supremacy. Here are the the factors of white supremacy. And like in that course too, was the first time where I started to hear white supremacy thrown around instead of white privilege. And I was super defensive at first. I was like, come on, like, I'm not in the KKK, you know? And like, I had to really grapple with, you know, even like articles that are like, they don't talk about white supremacists, but they talk about white supremacy. And I had a really big learning curve with my own defensiveness on that, which I think is really, you know, fed into the work that (laughs) I'm doing now. Um, But yeah, and the other thing that critical theorists do, which is really interesting as opposed to the rest of academics is talk about themselves. They use I, you know, in in so much of academics that you want to say, use the third person, distance yourself. But critical theorists are really interested in positionality. So they use I, some of them use more informal language. So it's more accessible. Some use very, very fancy words. So it's like, legit inaccessible like some articles take you know a 20 page article could take me a week two weeks to read because it's so hard to understand but yeah it's a i mean it's a beautiful field of study and the ways that it can get translated to to young kids i don't see it as i see it as challenging but nothing but but good things could come from it and good debates 100 percent, it is great 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 and so as i think as we wrap this part up about CRT, I would just honestly wish that individuals would make it less about them and more about the future, more about what's got to happen, more about decreasing the amount of of times where a person of color is assaulted or killed or murdered in the street. The less times that individuals of color are going to jail for something that is not equ- uh, equitable across the board or a person not receiving the type of health care that they deserve because of their zip code. Like, I think I wish they would open up their UCRT as a springboard to address the systemic issues instead of making it like, why are you coming at me? Like, why are you making me uncomfortable for a couple moments instead of focusing on People being killed, people exactly and so being that, forced to live in poverty. Yeah, that's the that's the big takeaway for sure. Yeah, awesome. So voting rights. Whoa, we just going in like that, Tyson. You we're just, just, <laughs> just <laughs> going to stop. Voting rights. That was the other thing we were going to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. I love it. So I feel like you may be more holding the the flame of nuance and understanding Ooh. around this. Cause I don't even understand how it's a thing. Like, I don't even understand uh, how this I'm is I'm in happening. the same place. I'm in the same place. <laughs> like it, it's, 
it's very clear to me. And again, I always want to be challenged. I love that. I think that's in the learning. But I just don't understand why it's so many meetings, so many chambers, so many government sessions to talk about something that to me is simple. We live in a democracy. People cannot be dictators. Voting should be accessible to everything. That's a 30-minute conversation at most about how to increase accessibility for voting for everyone. You know, We have invaded many countries to tell them that they should be more democratic and let everyone vote. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, even talking about it right now, it seems circular, it seems tangential. It's like, what is there to talk about? Why are we having to 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 threaten to arrest people because they boycotted or left session to, or are we talking about like, there's no discussion. Yeah, maybe maybe the this section is just an invitation to some of our listeners if they know someone who might be able to, you know, come on the show and help us understand the nuance of this in I would in love some that. way if it is not straightforward like I I I feel like I would need help in understanding why this is not straightforward. I I love that. So I guess if we if we get that guest, if we get that guest and he's there, he or she or they they can come on and say, "Look, I want to start season three off with talking about the importance of of voting or the importance of what's happening in the legislature or the importance of this and that. I, I like that education piece will be amazing for me because um, the more I watch it, the more um, disgusted I get, and I think it's a, a, a to me not a waste of time because voting rights is something that individuals die for. You know, it's a waste of time that it's not something that we should just have right now. So like critical race theory, I think we're running away from the fact that some people don't want some people to vote because the fear that things may change, it's a real fear. So that's where I think it goes back to that. Yeah. And I maybe I'd like to put like an amendment on that is that we're we're not issuing an invitation to people who are talking about voter fraud in this past election unless they have proven, you know. <laughs> We want proof that it's there. No theories. Don't cite a YouTube. Um, yeah. I love it. I so love it. I am sure there is nuance beyond that, but that's the, the kind of shouting one that, that I hear. So anyway. Anyway. So season two, let's just talk about this quickly. Yeah. I'm curious how, how things have changed for you between season one and season two what you've learned, what you're going to take into season three? A lot of things. Um, chemistry is everything when you're trying to do work with uh, with someone else. Um, I was blessed to own and operate two companies where the chemistry between me and my, my business partner was almost automatic, you know? And, um, and so when you going into any endeavor, even on a small scale, like the chemistry has to be there if it's going to be successful. And so like in the beginning, we had, I, I feel like we had respect, you know, um, we were wandering, we were like inquisitive about each other, you know, and then season two, I think we called a stride. 
um, from from the very first episode, I felt like the one with my um, my sister. I felt like even our interaction felt like more. I know who she is. I know what she's gonna say. I know it's best to talk. I'm not feeling like she's afraid to talk because she's she may say something that I don't agree with. It's like, hey, we have permission from each other. And I felt more comfortable being myself the second season than I did the first season because I, did, I, 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 I didn't know, you know? And so just the, the topics that we were going into were, were heavy um, from just the freedom to be yourself with freedom to have um, black um, sons to talk about police brutality, climate change, um, Karens, all of those are topics that, you know, we were blessed to have amazing guests that can really dive into them. And we don't feel as though we have to censor ourselves and we have the freedom to use an appropriate fuck and also to show the love and, and respect that each of our guests deserve and the one that, and, and the respect that we have for each other. So, that's a, a lot of words, but in fact, I, I just I feel I feel really blessed to be in this position and, and have this platform because I feel like it's only gonna get better from here. Yeah, yeah, we've had amazing guests. I'm kind of obsessed with all of our guests, and <laughs> um, yeah. How about how about you? Them. How about you? What, like what what what's going on with you and your mind about season two? Yeah, you know, I think at this point, as opposed to when we started recording, I think I have a a much clearer grasp on like how doing this work affects me and my family and my freedom and my liberation. And I think that that's, yeah, just something I've been given a lot of time to to think about. Um, we talked about that a lot with Courtney Napier and, and the debrief there, just about like what what's at stake for for white people and how does white supremacy fuck us all? I think that was probably like her episode was coming together of a lot of different episodes. And then Derry's episode on professionalism really like brought it home and in, into my world, which is, you know, working with in the corporate world and how how it holds us back in in such a profound way. Um, I've enjoyed like being able to speak with you so directly about things. Like it's, it's, I I feel really grateful for, you know, the ways we've built trust. So there's, there's more room for mistakes or correcting each other. And I know that that's what you expect of me now. Like you don't want me to just be like, oh yeah. Like I always, you know, I tend to phrase things very nicely. That's my like Northeast phrasing. <laughs> um, so it's great to be, I don't know. It's great to be expected to like bring it, you know, like bring, like I feel the invitation to like bring my, my full self is there. And it's, um, that's a really great thing. I'd also say just reflecting on being here. So where here is, it, I mentioned South Dartmouth. So I'm in this little community near South Dartmouth right now, which is where my mom grew up. And it's kind of this like enclave near the beach and they, you know, definitely huge, huge houses coming in here. You know, people's little summer houses that are like $10 million houses, which is just the amount of money here. It's principally white. There are a couple like a couple people of color, but I talk a lot on the first season about like concerned about white people's reaction to what I say and how directly I'm talking about white supremacy. And 
I was just noticing, uh, you know, for true confessions, just noticing. So I have some flyers, some humanized flyers. I forgot to bring them out here, but I was like, would I put a flyer up here on the post office? Like, and this sense of like, am I breaking the code? Like that keeps coming up for me. Am I breaking the code? Would my dad be embarrassed? Because he's the one that's principally here. Would my dad be embarrassed if I was going around and promoting this? And I'm just so sad to feel those thoughts come up, you know? And like, there's still these spaces to negotiate. And it just leaves me in wonder of white supremacy culture that like someone who feels like, like myself, like feels like I'm like becoming more outspoken on this topic and still like held back by that. That admittance right there is why I continue to um, enjoy doing this with you. You know, that right there, if someone was to hear you who grew up with you and was like, and you feel like, am I breaking the code? A lot of white people that grow up around there or in that type of situation probably feel the same way if they secretly, and I'm saying you, but if they secretly feel like white supremacy is a problem, they publicly feel as though, but can I address it publicly like this without threatening something in my life or someone in my life, you know? And so that is a powerful thing. You're a human being, you know? And so if you said, I am not fearful, I would say you're bullshit. I'll say you're lying, you know? And so the the human aspect of you is like, I mean, because leaders, when they, before they go to war, the moment before that bullet leaves that gun or the sword is un, is un, is not drawn out, they're fearful for their life. They, they're going to die for what they believe in, but they're still fearful of death. You know what I mean? It's like, what happens now after you recognize that I'm fearful to address these issues? Now, if you withdraw into a comfort, that's where it's like, damn, okay, we have a lot more work to do. Or we shouldn't be doing this right now because you're not there to progress it. But if for the fact that you are fearful means that it is very important work, you know, and you won't take you won't take it lightly. And so I, I just wanted to let you know that I that is something that I appreciate. You know, everything that's important, everything that's worth anything should have a fearful component. Your child going to school for the first day, you're fearful of that. Your child going your, your child going to college, you're fearful. You know, you don't know what's gonna happen to him or her, you know? You you get married, you're fearful. You don't know like every, every it because it's, it it matters. And so if we're gonna do this work, like it's not light work. It's not something that doesn't matter. It's not bullshit work. So it, it should make you a little afraid because you're affect you may affect your lifestyle, your money, your like who's your friends, who's your family, your family made us but what next? Yeah, the ultimate. Am I gonna make my dad mad? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> He's still your dad. He's still your dad. Yo. He's still, and I haven't, you know, talked with him about it, but yeah. Yeah. And I think I guess the like thought circulating in my head is kind of and I put it out there, you know, for for the weeks that we're not going to be putting out episodes next for people to be thinking about is like for white folks, where does, or, or white passing folks as well, where does self, self-concept meet reality? You know, like my self-concept of someone who would speak up for social justice, speak up 
defend the spaces for marginalized voices to be heard. Where does that meet the like, but really, am I really going to do it? And in what contexts and in what settings and what's going to silence me when it starts to, you know, what is the voice going to be that's like, no, 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 don't, don't say anything. Don't say anything. It's going to offend someone. It's going to, there's a cost. Um, so, and I think as long as we continue to bring those closer together, self-concept and, and actual action and taking risks, then that's progress. A huge progress. But I can tell you it's slow. <laughs> now, and it's, it should be. And it's nonlinear. <laughs> it should be. I um, We both have different roles in this fight. You know, um, I, I am representing, I'm standing tall for people of color. I don't represent every person of color, you know, but um, I am making sure that a perspective is, is heard loudly, you know, and you also have a very equal, equally as important role because you're a white woman, you know. And so when you when you do work like this, my voice is not bigger than yours. You know, um, your voice is not bigger than mine. Our voice are equally as important because there are so many people that resonate with you. There's so many people that resonate with me. There's so many people that resonate with both of us. And if we get all of those people to resonate together, we can start the type of movement that can uh, elevate a conversation from just talking to action. And that's really what I hope Humanize is about to to push the conversation to a point where action has to be had, you know. So basically, to be the catalyst for action and um and and, and critical thought, you know. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have some ideas for how we're going to mix things up next season. We have a whole slew of guests lined up from artists and poets to critical theorists to all these different folks. And some ways to kind of also give you all a little bit more, almost like mini trainings, tools to to work with people in your community. But all of that will come into focus for us in, in the next month. So we'll tell you about it when we start off season three. Season three. Damn. We still at this thing, man. <laughs> Woo. Still going. Hey, so, still um, going. So thank you guys so much for for rocking with us for two seasons so far. We love you. We love you. We love you. We appreciate you. Thank you, Emily, for Mm -hmm. putting up with my bullshit, you know, and hearing my voice (laughs) and and my opinions for this long. I really appreciate you. thank you. And thank you. Thank you for everything. Love working with you. And appreciate it. Much love, y'all. Peace. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Humanize. Please remember to like and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Join us on Instagram or Facebook to continue this conversation at The Humanize Podcast. Let us know if you want to learn more about the professional trainings we offer. And of course, tune in next time as we continue the work. Thank you and much love.